So the, the, the purpose of this evening is really to give you an opportunity to come to, with us tonight and to observe the Lord's Supper together, to take communion with one another. Um, what I want to do is kind of paint a picture for us as we get ready to do that. As you know, our theme for the weekend for both tonight and for Sunday is this, this changes everything. And okay, I'll be very <laughs> transparent. Really hard to focus on Good Friday on just the crucifixion and try to pretend like Easter Sunday never happened. Right? I mean, many times you'll go to a, a Good Friday service, and even tonight you, you may sense already that when you go to a Good Friday service, there's a lot of mourning and a lot of uh, just kind of somberness even to it. But we need to celebrate the fact that Jesus' blood ran red. We need to celebrate the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And certainly Easter changes everything about our perspective there, but let's not forget that on our best day, our righteousnesses, which were falling so very short of where Jesus or where God called us to, that God looked down and said, ah, good try, buddy. Let me provide righteousness for you. Here's my son, Jesus Christ. So today, what I want to do real quick is, is just kind of point something out to you, which is, which is remarkable. See, the Bible isn't just a hodgepodge of different stories put together so that we can drag our children to Sunday school each week and warn them that God hates liars. The Bible is God's inspired word. And every word, every story, every scripture throughout it points to one. His name is Jesus. And so as you read the Old Testament, it's almost like, have you ever tried to watch a movie backwards? I mean, not hit rewind and watch it all the way backwards. What I mean is, you've already seen the conclusion of it. You know how it ends. And then you go back and start it again. It, it kind of removes some of the tension, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know if they're going to make it. Well, you know they're going to make it because they're the hero of the story. You know that already. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's like the new Star Wars movie that just, the trailer came out yesterday. I haven't seen it. But I'm pretty sure I know in the end who's going to win, right? So it should remove some of the, the tension for us. It should also give us the opportunity to, to look at those stories with a different perspective and find different caveats and different high points and low points that otherwise we might miss. But because we know how the story ends, we look back with a renewed vision and a renewed focus as to what God's trying to communicate to us. And so as you read and this is going to sound crazy, the book of Leviticus, which I know all of us made it to that in our, through the, the Bible in a Year program, we're like, eh, I'll read the Psalms again, it's all right. It's good, I don't need it. <laughs> you read through Leviticus, and it's, um, it's, it's hard to read through. Um, it's stark, a little surprising in some spots. It's, 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 it's bloody, very bloody. There's all kinds of sacrifices and offerings that are listed throughout the book of Leviticus. You've got the, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the fellowship offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, and all these things come with it, a certain prescription of, of the process that must happen when you bring that offering. And while you're reading through Leviticus, you're like, this is just so I can win Bible trivia the next time I play. But what we need to remember is every word. Every story, every description, every prescription points to one. 
So as you read through Leviticus, and if you've made it through somehow miraculously in your Through the, the Bible in a Year program, all the way to Leviticus 16, you finally find your reward for making it to that far in Leviticus. You get to read about a day in the calendar of the Israelites called the Day of Atonement. For us, the Day of Atonement means little, if anything at all. But, but, but to the children of Israel, this was a day marked out on their calendar that was different than any other day. Because in that moment, instead of just offering the guilt offering, the, the, the sin offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, any of those offerings, they, they had the opportunity to, to surround their high priest as he entered into, not the, the holy place, but he got to enter into the holy of holies, the most holy place, this, this tiny little tent within the tabernacle or the temple that, that where God's glory dwelt. He had the opportunity to, to enter into that. And there is, if you read Leviticus 16, there is a prescription that seems crazy. He couldn't just walk in there and be like, today's the Day of Atonement, all right, got things to do, I'll be back, and walk into the Holy of Holies. He had to begin by a ceremonial bath. Not like show up in the shower, grab your Irish spring, and rub-a-dub scrub. It's, this is a ceremonial bathing process that you must follow to the T in order to be declared clean. Following that, he would remove what was his, his, his high priestly garb. He wouldn't put on the, all the, the special emblems and the fancy outfit. Instead, he would grab this, this everyday linen cloth and undergarments and regular garments and, and different things, sashes that he would throw on. And it was just like something you would pull out of the laundry on a, on a Wednesday morning when you hadn't anything else to throw on. Just simple clothes. He would then bring a bowl and he would sacrifice a bull. And he would do that for his own sins and for the sins of his family. After sacrificing the bull, he would then get um, the coals from the altar. And he would take two handfuls of sweet-smelling incense. And that was when he first walked into the Holy of Holies. As he walked into the Holy of Holies, and you need to understand, the, the Holy of Holies is this place where the, the Ark of the Covenant sat where the, the golden mercy seat sat, where the, the cherubim on either side were, were, were overlaid in gold. It was this beautiful place, but because the glory of God was there, this high priest had to walk in with the coals and the incense and place the incense on the coals so that this, this, this really fragrant cloud would appear and it would block the high priest from being able to see the glory of God. Then he would take some of the blood of the bull that he had sacrificed for himself and his family, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle some on the floor, on the ground before the mercy seat. He'd then leave the Holy of Holies, assuming that he had followed the ceremonial cleansing ritual correctly. See, there were, there were also bells on the skirt of the high priest as he entered in. So that the people outside could make sure there was still movement and that he hadn't keeled over dead because he had violated the holiness of God. Because you never knew when that was going to happen. Uh, some historians say not only were there bells on the fringe of his garment, but there was also a rope tied to his ankle so that if the bells stopped, they could yank him out. He just didn't know. So as he left the Holy of Holies after uh, putting the incense down and sprinkling the blood of the, of the bull that he had sacrificed, he, he went and he found um, the, the children of Israel outside the, the door of the tent of meeting, and they had brought random two random goats to the front of the door. And the high priest would come, and he would cast lots. And, and, and I don't know a good way to describe it, throw dice, draw straws, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. It's kind of one of those things, okay? 
And then they would pick the one goat that he would bring with himself and he would sacrifice that goat, spill that innocent goat's blood. He would take the blood of that goat into the Holy of Holies and he again would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and he would sprinkle it on the ground before the mercy seat. And that was to pay for the sins of the children of Israel. When he was finished with that, He would leave to the the tent of meeting again where that second very lucky goat, might I add, is standing there. And he he would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the nation of Israel. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that today? What would that sound like? I mean, you put your hands on the head of this goat and he begins to confess, Lord, we confess our arrogance. We confess our pride. We confess our lying tongues. We confess the times we have stolen. We confess our idolatry. We confess our adultery. We confess our murder. And he just continues to go on. We confess our lousy parenting. We confess our disobedience to our parents. I mean, the list would continue and continue and continue until he was finally done confessing all the sins of the nation of Israel. And a man would take the goat and lead it out to the wilderness and go! And the goat would run away, carrying with it the sins of the children of Israel. That's where we get the word scapegoat from. That was called the scapegoat. This innocent goat was now carrying the sins of an entire nation as it ran away. When that was done, I know this may surprise you, but there was more sacrifices, more offerings, more cleansings, more confessions, more ceremony, until the Day of Atonement was finished. And you know what happened the day after the Day of Atonement? They brought more grain offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings, and guilt offerings over, over, over again. And as we consider the Day of Atonement, some things we must consider as we look at that picture because every ritual was done to paint a picture. What we understand is this. There's a a separation between man and God. That's the Holy of Holies and then where we live. There's a separation between man and God because we are habitually sinful people. And because of our sin, we can't come into the presence of a holy God. Not because God treats sin like kryptonite, Ooh, I can't be near that. But because as soon as sin enters into the very presence of God, he destroys it. So because of that, we are separated from God. Here's the amazing part in the book of Leviticus, which I think we miss sometimes. God created a bridge for his people to approach him, even in their sinfulness. God created the sacrifices and the offerings so that mankind could come to him laying their all on the altar in confession so that their relationship with God could be renewed again. God is that merciful and that gracious that he would again bring them back to himself. So so even in the picture of the Day of Atonement, you have that first goat whose whose innocent blood was shed. That that was to... uh, bear the full wrath of God on it. 
So the wrath of God, that, that blood that was to be shed, should have been the children of Israel's blood, but instead it was this goat. The, the goat, the scapegoat that ran away, that goat was carrying away the sins of the children of Israel so that at least for that brief moment, their sins weren't in their face. In the Day of Atonement, what you find, and in the regular sacrificial system, you find because of the repeated nature of it over and over and over and over again, even something as as ornate and as detail-oriented as the Day of Atonement, that's temporary. It's temporary, and it's impossible to bring about completion. Which is why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11... The author of Hebrews reminds us of the Day of Atonement by saying this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away a sin. What what the the, the author of Hebrews is doing here is just remember back to the priest. Every priest, he stands every day doing the same thing over and over and over, and that can never ultimately take away sin. which is why he says in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 10, but Jesus, when he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. A single sacrifice, not the repeated over and over and over again, the single sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon which the completion of, he sat at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by that single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that that one moment where he willingly laid down his life for our sins was enough for all time. Complete. No more repeated sacrifices. No more wondering about the cleansing of the high priest and if he was going to come out alive today. No, the the substitutionary sacrifice, the fact that Jesus Christ took our place and willingly laid down his life for our sins forever stands as the moment when everything changed. Everything. On that Good Friday... When Jesus Christ was was tried before Pilate and Herod, when Jesus Christ was beaten and mocked by the soldiers, when Jesus Christ was marched to Golgotha carrying the crossbeam of the cross that would put him to death, that one Good Friday when Jesus Christ willingly laid down with his arms stretched wide and his feet together, that one Good Friday when the nail was pierced through his wrists and through his ankles, That one Good Friday when in the most poetic, pathetic, powerful, and yet weak whisper, when Jesus said, Tetelestai, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. In that moment, everything changed. In that moment, all of our fear is gone. In that moment, all of our insecurity is gone. We don't wonder if today's sacrifice, we're going to make it to when we bring our bowl to the offering. 
We don't fear that we may die before we bring that, that lamb. We don't fear that perhaps today is the day that, that, that this is going to go badly for us. No, instead, we can live with great confidence knowing that Jesus Christ, our high priest, willingly laid down his life in humility for me. And that because of his willing sacrifice, my sins have been washed away. So as the Day of Atonement looked forward to Good Friday, the observance of the Lord's Supper, taking communion together, looks back to Good Friday. And so if you're here with us tonight and and you're a guest with us, you are invited, as long as you know and trust Jesus Christ, you're invited to to take the Lord's Supper with us tonight. But you need to remember that, that there's nothing magical in the elements There's nothing salvific in it. It is a cracker and it is grape juice. We're not hiding anything. There's no no secret behind the curtain. Because this isn't meant to do something to our soul by the element itself. What is supposed to happen is we are supposed to observe the picture of the crushed body of Jesus Christ. Of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. So what's going to happen next in our service is the, the band's going to come and, and we're going to have some instrumental music. And, and there in your seats, you, you can get up, you can spend time praying before you go. You can get up right away and go, whatever you would like. There's three stations here at the front and, and one under the window and, and one under the cross. And we'd invite you to go and, and receive the elements, bring them back to your chair. And in the quietness of the instrumental music, during the, the singing of the songs, then you can Take the elements there while you sit with your family, perhaps by yourself, with a friend. Here's the spirit of the Lord's Supper. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says this. This is what Paul said. I received from the Lord what I am also delivering to you right now, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May I encourage you tonight, as you look at the cracker and you, you look at the juice, that you remember that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is good for all time, for the washing away of our sins. Jesus changes everything. May we remember that as we observe the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the picture of the Lord's Supper. I thank you that as we look at these elements, that we're reminded and taken back to a place where we met you. Uh, Lord, there's some people sitting in this room who met you a long time ago when they were munchkins, when they were little kids. And Lord, we are so grateful for the fact that you saved them some of us a little older when we came to know Christ and we understood what it was that he did for us on the cross. I pray right now as we look at these elements again, we would simply be reminded of the grace and the mercy that you poured out in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that even tonight it would be the beginning for all of us, the beginning of us taking this not just more seriously, but but the beginning of us understanding the cost of the cross. That your son, who was in heaven, left it 
with great humility and meekness and emptied himself and became like us. Then willingly laid down his life on the cross for my sin. Tonight, may that be a reminder to us, to me, that it was for my sin that Jesus died. And then may it be a great encouragement that in Christ, I am yours. For it's in his good and precious name I pray. Amen.